Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is Call Number with American Libraries. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. GEICO thinks that last part should apply to you, too. That's why when you go to geico.com DISC ALA, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast no-obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention that you're a member of the ALA. And be sure to ask how GEICO can help you with your homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com slash D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. When hip-hop emerged in the late 70s and early 80s, Few could have imagined it would become the influential musical, artistic, cultural, and economic force that it is today. Hip-hop is everywhere now, so it's no surprise that libraries would embrace it for community outreach, teaching, preservation, and so much more. Today, on Call Number with American Libraries, we look at libraries and hip-hop. First, I speak with Ralph McDaniels, the hip-hop luminary who created the influential Video Music Box music video show in New York City in the early 1980s, and who now serves as hip-hop coordinator at Queens Public Library. Next, I talk with Jaquetta Johnson, a specialist in the Department of Equity and Cultural Proficiency at Baltimore County Public Schools in Baltimore, Maryland, and a former library media specialist about the work that she's done using hip-hop as a teaching tool. But first, a word from a sponsor. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. GEICO thinks that last part should apply to you, too. That's why when you go to geico.com slash D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast no-obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention that you're a member of the A-L-A. And be sure to ask how GEICO can help you with your homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com slash D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. Ralph McDaniel's influence on hip-hop is extraordinary. He was at the epicenter of its birth in New York City in the early 1980s when he created Video Music Box, the first TV program of its kind to prominently feature hip-hop music videos. He was also a director, creating videos for Mary J. Blige, Jay-Z, Public Enemy, Fat Joe, and Wu-Tang Clan. Today, Ralph is sharing his love of hip-hop and its history as hip-hop coordinator at Queens Public Library. I spoke with Ralph recently about the history of hip-hop and Video Music Box and the hip-hop programs that he's presenting at the library.
for, for our listeners who might not be familiar with you, can you give them just a bit of your background and uh, really the, and the history of uh, Video Music Box, too? Sure. Um, well, the history of Video Music Box started in 1983. You know, this was when, you know, everybody used to watch music videos, you know, the music video era. And um, and I was uh, trying to figure out, you know, what I was going to do. I was a DJ working in clubs. I knew a couple of artists. A friend of mine was a manager for a couple of artists, so I had access to them. And, you know, we came up with this idea to do this thing called Video Music Box, but we wanted to focus more on the uh, African-American and Latino artists that didn't get airplay on MTV at that time. And so we created a platform for a lot of these artists who just had great videos, but it just wasn't playing. And um, and all of a sudden, by word of mouth, folks started to kind of like come to uh, Video Music Box and myself and go like, hey, how can I get my video played on your show? So we developed relationships with all of these people especially the hip-hop guys because they were in New York. And um, and from there, you know, it was just like we were at clubs. We were, you know, doing interviews and all kinds of stuff that was just entertaining the New York City area at that time. And we continue to keep on doing the show currently now. And um, so we're 38 years in the game. <laughs> oh. Now, how did you um, come to be the hip-hop coordinator at Queens Public Library? Yeah, so, you know, um, Kim Capers, who is uh, in charge of outreach at Queens Public Library, um, invited me to speak to some kids at our teen library out in Far Rockaway. And, you know, she was like, you know, I'm really trying to develop this hip-hop thing. You know, we get people get excited when we have music and we talk their language and we talk their, their music. And, you know, what do you think? And I started talking, and, you know, a couple of years went by, and then she came back. She said, I really want to hire a coordinator. So I was like, well, what does that mean? And she told me what it meant, you know, creating programs and um, curriculums that could, you know, go to different um, libraries in our system that people could use on a regular basis. And I said, okay, I think I can do that. And so from there, um, she hired me and said, hey, you know, it's not a lot of money, but this is what we're doing. I said, I'm really not worried about the money part. I'm really more concerned that hip-hop is in libraries because libraries are in so many communities that could use hip-hop um, education, and we can help also make awareness to other programs that are here that are not hip-hop related because of what we do and the, um, the attraction to the music. And she said, okay, I got that. And I said, yeah, let's, let's try it out. And, and that's how it happened. Um, now, what kind of programs exactly um, are a part of this program? Well, currently, um, because of COVID and the pandemic, we've done everything online for the last 15 months, but soon we, we, we will be back physically in the building. New York City is opening up. Queens is opening up. The branches are open, but we're not doing live programs. So we're doing things on Instagram. So Tuesdays and Saturdays, about 15 months ago, <laughs> I started doing a live program on Instagram. And um, and currently right now we're doing summer reading. So I get on and I talk to some of the authors and folks that I've done interviews over the last 15 months and talk about their books from, you know, Rakim's book about how to write, you know, how he gets his, his, uh, his, his mojo right to write a, a rhyme to uh, – 
DJ Ross One's book, um, Rap Tees. He's collected rap T-shirts from 1984 till 1999. He has the most extensive rap T-shirt collection ever. So um, to um, uh, my son, who wrote a book for kids about um, the Bill of Rights and how to know your rights, you know, because he was moved by Black Lives Matter and said, you know, kids really don't understand what's happening. How can I put something together that's really simple for kids and not too complicated that they will understand what's happening, what they're seeing outside in the streets of New York or Chicago or Los Angeles or wherever. They just, he wanted to make something simple for them to understand. And he did a you know, like 10 page book um, that could, you know, kids could relate to and what, you know, rights and what people were fighting for. So um, we do that. And once you're back in the building, you know, we've done things like, um, how to DJ 101, how to, how to um, uh, do graffiti, you know, how to make graffiti letters and things like that. Kids love that kind of stuff because it's drawing um, the younger kids, um, as well as um, um, live book talks with Damon John from Shark Tank, who grew up in the Queens area. He was a hip-hop guy. He started selling T-shirts when he was a teenager, and he literally sold those T-shirts on the street right down the block from the Queens, the, the central branch of the Queens Library. And now he's on Shark Tank and, you know, an investment guy. And, you know, he's come a long way from being that guy hanging out, those, that kid hanging out on the street. So it, it's good when kids can see a guy like that and say, wow, maybe I can do that as well. And, and you know, it all comes in from the music, I think. You know, the music kind of draws the kids in. You know, we're battling against you know, video games and, te- and, and, and cell phones. So, <laughs> yeah. so we have to make it exciting and it has to be, you know, sometimes it's a little loud in the library. You know, most of my programs I do towards the, 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 the evening hours. So it doesn't uh, cause too much of a ruckus with the folks that still believe that the library should be quiet because mm-hmm. libraries have changed and, you know, and they're, they're a, a major part of, of the community and, we have to, you know, make sure that we take care of all of our patrons and take care of everyone. And so we're mindful of, you know, doing programs early because it could be a little loud for some of our, you know, elderly folks that come in. So we do them towards the evening. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about some of these guests that you brought in. Because on, on the Queens Public Library website, there's this great talk that you did with KRS-One. And, mm-hmm. um, um, yeah, can you just tell us what other type of guests have you hosted? And I'm just curious as – has some of your past work with uh, Video Music Box and just being a part of the hip-hop community, has that kind of given you some extra leverage to bring in these guests? Like, oh, that's Ralph's. You know, Ralph is doing this, so are they more apt to, to come in because of you? Well, it's funny you say that because most people were like, when I started working with the library, they were like, what? What are you doing at the library? <laughs> like, that's not hip-hop. And so I was like, I, I said, you know, we need to be in institutions like libraries and museums um universities and um we had already i had already been speaking at universities um done some programs in different museums and i looked at the library as a place where we can also do some great programs and talk about what was locally happening in that particular area one of the the main things i wanted to do when i first came to queen's library was to create a timeline of queen's hip-hop and um so we started doing oral history and photos of some of the guys who were around in the early days before hip hop was popular. And of course my relationship with, you know, um, people over the years 
opened up a whole world of, you know, relationships. And Karis One, I think, was like a no-brainer for me. You know, his whole thing is edutainment. That's what he's mm-hmm. talking about for the last 20, 30 years. And, you know, and when I told him about what I was doing, he was like, are you kidding me? Absolutely. I would love to come to the library and speak. And um, and so it was great, you know, to have him come in. And other folks that I have relationships like um, DMC from Run DMC um, has come. Because he grew up in, in the Queens area, um, we, we really were, you know, trying to showcase some of the artists and folks that came from Queens that became successful. Um, Roxanne Shante was from Queensbridge, and she grew up going to the library. Um, we have a uh, exhibit that we have called A Ciphering Queens, which was dedicated to three people that had passed away in hip-hop. One was um, Jam Master J from Run DMC, um, Fife Dog from A Tribe Called Quest, and um, Prodigy from Mob Deep. And we had three nine-foot statues that this guy made, and um, it was awesome. You know, it was awesome to see the young kids walk in and look at these statues and learn about these artists that grew up in their community. And uh, a guy named Sherwin, Sherwin the artist on Instagram, he's the one that created it. I saw it in the park. I said, we have to bring this inside. It was something that had never been done in a library, at least in New York. And because these statues were so big, like people were like, no, this, this needs to be in a museum. This is not for the library. And I'm like, why not? Let's change the rules. Let's do something different, you know? And so we did it in the library, and over 20,000 people came out. Um, now I want to talk a bit more about, you mentioned the oral histories, and they're, um, the, the libraries, you know, you're collecting all these hip-hop-related materials, flyers, posters, old tapes. Um, could you tell us a bit more about that collection? Is there anything, and also, is there any, any, anything in particular that is your personal favorite? Yeah, um, I think that, there's two things that are my personal collect, uh, personal um, favorites in the Queens uh, Public Library's hip hop archives. I, I love the fact that we have um, flyers um, of events that happened in Queens, um, in different parts of you know the community where there's a library at in some cases, um, because they have dates on them. You know they name certain places and things, and that's what the library is all about, you know, information. Um, we also have some great photos of some of the early pioneers, a, a collection of photos that we did, um, and um, and mixtapes from some of the early mixtape DJs from, from Queens. Um, one of the, the pioneering mixtape guys in the business, and he – he didn't start in the early days, but he started when CDs came available, you know, for folks that are listening who don't know anything about what we're talking about. <laughs> you know, there were cassettes first, and they went in those big boom boxes, and you had to just listen to it, almost like a stream, and just, just played. And then CDs came along, and you could skip to different tracks. And so DJ Clue is from Queens, and he's mm-hmm. the pioneer of the CD um, mixes. And... um so we're waiting for a collection of DJ Clue early um, mix CDs, which is going to be really great. And I, I, I love the fact that he changed with the technology and took it to a whole other level. Um, 
Now, what you you mentioned this a little bit already, but what's the the reception been like from from library patrons in the community to um, hip hop programming at Queens? They love it. People come out. Um, I mean, hip hop has been around for almost fifty years. So somebody that was twenty who is now fifty, you know, um, has been around for thirty years, has been listening to hip hop. So. 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds, some of the older folks say, hey, I remember, you know, Run DMC. I remember um, Ice Cube and Houdini and LL Cool J. And, um, and that's, that's the great part about it. It's the music of, of, you know, this generation. And, you know, that's why it's, you know, it's so popular because it's been around for, you know, four or five decades now. And mm-hmm. so it, it, you can have a, a 20-year-old come in who wants to learn about, you know, some of the old school, or we have a DJ that comes in and plays some of the, the new school music. Of course, we have to make sure that it's censored. All music is censored in the library. We don't allow any kind of, you know, um, cursing or certain content to be talked about. But um, we make sure, because it's being played publicly, you know, you can mm-hmm. find a version. You can find an uncensored version, I'm sure, in the library. There are plenty of books that have... <laughs> yeah. uncensored stuff so we're not trying to censor any artists but you know when we play it publicly we're mindful of everybody mm-hmm. and um but yeah so the public enjoyed it they 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 you know they just got a, a breath of fresh air and like sat around and you know like you know a 25 a year old might have been or maybe not a 25 year old but maybe a 15 year old comes in with their dad and all of a sudden sees a whole other side of their father that they never saw before because he knows these early rap songs. And looking at their father like, why are you acting like a kid right now? <laughs> so it, it, it's it's great to see that type of reaction. So it's, it's family. We had a Women's History Month. We had um, over 30 pioneers of women that um, started in the business and you know, women came out with their daughters and were so inspired. They told me afterwards that to listen to these women talk and the, you know, the tough times that they had to be, they had to go through as women in the in a male-dominated field. You know, and um, and so it was inspiring to them. You know, there's so many different aspects to it. You know, we talk about science, technology, and engineering and math, and you know, we've have. Uh, a, 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 a branch in Queens, Queensbridge is called the uh, Queensbridge Lab. And so we had um, producers go in there and talk about how they use science and, and math to create these beats and create beats right in front of the kids and the beats and the kids got to create beats as well. And, and just, you know, just let them know that that's why it's important to, you know, learn science and math and understand technology and engineering this is what it takes to do this. You know, it's not just always about creativity. You're going to have to use some of these sciences to, um, to be good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, did you ever think, um, you know, 40 years ago when you started video music box or even before that, you know, at the birth of, of hip hop, did you ever imagine that it would become this influential force worldwide, both artistically, socially, and economically? Um, did you ever, or any, did anyone ever expect that? I didn't think it was going to be as big as it is. Um, and I'll tell you a story. And I remember a guy came up to me in, I don't know, it must have been late 70s, early 80s. And he had a record, a vinyl record, and it had rap on it. 
and and I was outside in the park, and there were you know we used to do the park jams, crowds outside. We had the speakers outside. We're plugged into the light pole. You know, everybody's having a good time. But we weren't playing rap records. Rap records didn't exist. People used to physically rap on the mic, and we played music. Mm-hmm. And so he had a record with people rapping on it. And I was like, well, why would somebody buy this? Because we do this outside for free every day. And he looked at me, and I'll tell you who it was. It was Russell Simmons. And he <laughs> looked at me, and he said, because everybody's not coming to the park. And I was like, Oh, so in my world, I just, everything happened in the park in in wherever I lived. I didn't think that people in Japan, in Africa, in Germany, in Italy, around the world would be interested in what we were doing here in New York City. I had no idea that it would be worldwide. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. GEICO thinks that last part should apply to you, too. That's why when you go to geico.com D-I-S-C A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast note obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention that you're a member of the ALA. And be sure to ask how GEICO can help you with your homeowners and renters insurance plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com slash D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. Considering hip-hop's ubiquity, It's no surprise that it would make its way into the classroom, with librarians and teachers using it as a teaching tool. Jaquetta Johnson is one such person. A former library media specialist at Randallstown High School in Randallstown, Maryland, and currently a specialist in the Department of Equity and Cultural Proficiency at Baltimore County Public Schools, Johnson uses hip-hop to teach everything from literature and math to copyright. I spoke with her recently about using hip-hop in the classroom, her lyrics as literature program, and much more. My first question is, why hip-hop? What is it about this particular form of music that lends itself to be used as a teaching tool? Okay, so let me just kind of step back for a minute. So my my question was, why not hip-hop? First and foremost, I always just like to um, preface, like, we think about hip-hop music, but I always like to put it in the frame that it is hip-hop is a complete culture. Mm-hmm. Hip-hop is a global phenomenon, and so part of the hip-hop culture is the music. Um, often what people refer to as rap music. There's some camps that say it's hip-hop music, some say it's rap. We're not going to get into that discussion. But I focus it around as using hip-hop culture. I actually teach with the culture of hip-hop, and one part of that that I teach with, as all of them, is the music part of it. And so the reason why I chose to focus on using hip-hop um, as a way to reach my students, which is actually a full way of teaching, it's actually a pedagogy, hip-hop pedagogy, um, is because of the interest of my students. And so with any good teaching, I always look at who is my audience, who is, what um, what are their interests. Um, I try to be, I consider myself to be a culturally responsive and culturally relevant educator, and I apply an equity lens to the work that I do. So understanding that, 
I looked at what my students had an interest in and how could I help my students reach their um, maximum potential with their learning and their interests. So for me, it was hip hop because I had a relationship with my students and I knew that's what they had an interest in. And so I was trying to figure out how can I take what they have an interest in, merge it with curriculum so that they would be, um, you know, more engaged in what was happening at the same time, elevate their voice because they already had a voice and mm-hmm. also help them begin to challenge some of the status quo. So that's why hip hop. Oh yeah. And and when did you start, uh, when did you start using this? Well, it's interesting. I, I must say officially I started using hip hop um, as a way of teaching probably about 2000 and I'm going to say around about 2006. And I can almost remember, I did I can almost remember the exact moment when it happened, which is crazy. At that particular time, I was working at a high school, um, and I was cleaning off, doing something with the shelves, and I pulled up this book, and it was called The Rose That Grew From Concrete. Mm -hmm. And it was the autobiographical work of Tupac Shakur. And what I did not know at that time was that Tupac had a book of poetry. I was like, oh, my gosh, because the narrative that I had been sold about Tupac was all that was fed to me through mainstream media, which was not a positive piece, right? He was this very mm-hmm. dynamic person, all these um, double, double. I would like to say multiple multiple personality. I'm not going to say multiple. He was in a double life. Like he was trying to be, mm-hmm. he, was, he was the activist on one side, but he also was trying to live up what was showing up in the media, right? Mm-hmm. So um, when classes would come to the library, and teachers are in there. I would see kids just kind of like disengage what was happening. You know, I remember them teaching doing stuff with Shakespeare and the kids was like not paying attention at all. It was like, you know, it was not a good look. And I just remember hearing so many teachers like, these kids don't want to learn. I was like, well, let's talk about these kids because that's a problem in itself. But what I realized is that it wasn't the content, is that the way that it was delivered and the kids did not see themselves in the curriculum. And then the more that I read about People like Tupac, like, you know, one, one of the things, he was an avid reader. He read Machiavelli. He even considered him, he makes reference to himself sometimes still like a Shakespearean character. So mm-hmm. my thought was, like, how can I connect something that the students have an interest in? Because, again, I have relationships with my students. I hear them talking. I'm, we're having conversations. And still be able to blend it with the content and merge the two. And it was just a perfect fit. And from there, it just kind of opened my eyes. Now, at that time, I did not realize that hip-hop pedagogy and hip-hop it was a, like a thing. Like, it's research-based. This is evidence. This is more than just let me take a song and play it as a hook to grab kids in as a gimmick. I'm talking about full embedding, using hip-hop culture to teach anything, to teach anything, basically, you know, based upon all of the various elements of hip-hop. And so that's when I began using hip-hop and seeing um, how powerful a tool it could be to reach um, all my students. Mm-hmm. And if there are listeners out there, I recommend, I recommend finding the rose that grew in concrete. It's an astonishing poem and all, all of Tupac's work. And, and, and that kind of leads me into lyrics as literature. It's a program of yours teaching hip hop as literature. Can you, can you tell us a bit more about that? Uh, sure. Again, um, again, as a lot of the curriculum that I have seen that has been written is often dominated by mostly predominantly white male authors and some mm-hmm. white females. Um, again, the students that I teach, uh, predominantly, predominantly students of color, um, and that when students want to see themselves in the work that they do, I mean, anyone wants to see themselves. If I'm a female, I want to see female writers. I want to see myself in the lead roles in movies, you know, ads, covers. I want to be able to see myself. 
right? And so how do I make those connections? So one of the things that I started doing is, again, looking at lyrics as a form of literature because they tell a story. If you take away the beat and I just look at lyrics and they're printed, there's a story there. There's literature there. There's songs that are written at certain times and time periods to reflect the times, the same way in library we would teach literature in the times. I know everybody probably remembers that, but what's happening during this time period? And this author wrote this song, wrote this piece of work, to reflect that period of time. The same thing happens with music, right? And so I decided to take lyrics and pair it with the things that were being taught in the curriculum to show students, wow, look to look 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 at this piece, look at this lyric. This also tells a story. This author, this lyricist is an author. I also did it because I wanted to change people's perception. Again, hip hop, when we talk about hip hop, there's this perception of what hip-hop culture is and who is hip-hop. And often the, the perception that we have is of someone who is a black male, female, or black person, you know, the baggy jeans, they got the, and I'm using air quotes, you can't see this, gangster mm-hmm. rap, this whole thing. But that's the mainstream perception of what hip-hop is. And we only focus on the music. Again, hip-hop is the entire culture. So for me, it's not just about teach, using the lyrics to teach um, the content, but it also is an opportunity to help change the narrative around hip hop, not just for outsiders who are not part of hip hop culture, but even for my students who have been conditioned often to believe and understand only what the mainstream media tells us about hip hop culture. And so that's one of the reasons. So when I did lyrics as, uh, as literature, I was tying it in as something that had spirit off of, um, several things, but recently when I did it was because of the Freddie Gray incidents that took place in our community. So mm-hmm. I, I taught at, at Baltimore County, uh, Freddie Gray um, incident took place in um, Baltimore City after the uprising um, where we had some police violence and Freddie Gray was murdered. And so there was a lot of conversation around happening in our buildings, but students needed a place to talk about it. And there was a unit that was happening around um, social justice already in an English unit. And at that time, I was like, how can I take that and then tie it to the current events that are happening now? And that's how the whole piece began to kind of take off to bigger, to where it is, where it became this whole piece around lyrics of literature. I was already using hip hop. Again, I don't feel like hip hop is something I only did at a certain time. It was something that I use all the time, all of my teaching, but that's where I think it kind of just, I guess elevated to where it is. Mm-hmm. And these are these are high school students that you're teaching this to. Yes, yes. So this particular group that I did the lyrics with literature was high school. However, um, over the past several years, what has happened is that the, the program that I had, I don't I say developed, I've also used with middle school as well as high school because I get an opportunity to um, share and present around the county, my county, as well as around the country. And there are elementary schools that have been adopting what we're doing to el- in elementary classrooms. Again, it, you're only limited by your imagination, whether you're use, whatever you're using, right? So it's all about how do I modify it to meet my, my audience and the needs. So um, the, the last few years before I transitioned to my current position, I actually had my high school students. We sat down and we developed lessons using hip-hop dance to teach movement and physical physical education and science. We had one person who was teaching literature, um, lyrics as writing, and then we said, had someone else do blackout poetry, and they were teaching middle schoolers. So I would take my high school students, and we partnered with another school librarian that were in middle schools, and then they taught the students. 
So if this can be done elementary all the way to high school, of course, you with any type of teaching, you have to modify it to make it age appropriate. But the skills can be taught in any grade level. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I think is is really interesting that um, is part of your program is the hashtag activism, the work you've been doing in that. Um, why was it important to include that as a component of your teaching? Again, when we think about hip-hop, again, we if you understand how hip-hop culture was born in, in the um, early 1970s, and a lot of that also was out of the birth of um, like the civil rights movement and, and the whole spawn of when hip-hop, hip-hop came into being and um, it was founded by um, black and brown youth during a time when things weren't the best in New York City. There was a lot of crime. There's a lot of things going on. And they were trying to find a way to find their voice and speak up against a lot of things, right? And so for me, hip-hop is built in social justice. But we don't hear about that again because of how it's portrayed in, you know, um, our mainstream media. So when we talk about hip-hop, there are five elements of hip-hop, okay? Um, you have your beatboxing, you have your DJing, you have your... Um, on your breakdancing, you have your graffiti art. And again, all of these things can be used to teach. But one of the fifth elements of hip-hop is knowledge, and it's knowledge of self and community. And so when we talk about knowledge of self and community, that's when I am able to then help my students understand that they can see the social and political analysis of the things that are happening when they look at a lot of the lyrics that they're looking at. And so for me, again, we were tying this into the political and social unrest that were happening in 2015. And each year the program would build to, we had hashtag Black Lives Matter, right? We, how are we using hashtags, right? How do we use hashtags to get out to, to amplify our voices? Because our students have a voice already. How can we amplify that? And so social media is a powerful tool to amplify your voice. And we watched this video when we were talking about social and political analyzing and using hip-hop, um, we used um, the hashtag, the, the core that was looking at hashtag Black Lives Matter. And how does a moment turn into a movement? And so that's when I built in research skills, because we researched. Many students were hearing about hashtag Black Lives Matter, but didn't know what it was, because it's just a tagline. Have you researched it? So this gave me an opportunity to talk about research skills. It had an opportunity to talk about media literacy. It had an opportunity to talk about how do you pick the proper platform to get your message out. All of those are library skills. So my students had to come up with a social media campaign around a social justice issue that was important to them. They could pick Instagram. They could pick Snapchat. So, again, all of those tools. So, again, I'm taking current events, all of those standards that were in the curriculum and just tying it into students' interest by framing it through the lens of hip-hop and social justice. And so that's why um, the, the, the social justice piece came into it, and that's why the hashtag active, because many of our students are using social media. Mm-hmm. And what, um, what's the re- what response have you gotten from students, uh, teachers, and, and even parents about both the um, hip-hop-based education work that you do and, and lyrics as literature? Well, for my students, they will tell you um, when I was when I was still in the, in the library spaces that they felt that it was relevant, mm-hmm. right? Because it spoke to them. Like they they were learning about things in a new way. It gave them an opportunity to be their authentic selves. They could be who they wanted to be. And it wasn't just me teaching. Because let me be very clear: when we're again, I'm talking culturally responsive. I'm talking um, 
culturally relevant, and I'm talking about applying this equity lens to the work that they did. This is, this is while I'm facilitating and I'm doing it, but it's also co-constructed with my students because mm-hmm. my students have a voice like, what, what are you listening to? What songs do you have that can add to what we're doing? Create the playlist. Like I said, when I when my students started teaching the middle school, they sat down. They de- they de- they they are developing the curriculum. What we're going to teach. So our students have a voice. So it's co-constructed, right? So they see a value in this. For the teachers who were coming in, while I never thought about using X, Y, and Z, because in the library, school library, we know it's all about collaboration with that classroom teacher, especially in the in that in, in the middle of the high school where. In, in our in our particular district where um, you, you don't have a science schedule classes coming through like in elementary, it's all about collaboration. How can I use hip hop? I never thought about using it in a social studies. Well, I never thought of using it in a world language class. I mean, we were using hip hop in world language classes. We're using it in math classes. Like I never thought about looking at um, from a social justice point when I'm looking at data, the impact of that, right? So those are the different ways that we have been able to, um, my students have like, had liked what we were doing it. Um, we've had town had ta- town hall meetings <laughs> because part of social justice and these aspects of things when we talk about lyrics as literature is how do we make change? Mm-hmm. How do we bring about change, right? And so I think those have been some of the things that have been uplifted um, from a positive spin about what is happening with using it. Absolutely. And if any of our listeners either librarians or teachers who might be interested mm-hmm. in doing something similar at their libraries or schools. Do you have any advice for them where to start? Well, sure. First thing I'm going to ask is where I started, why not hip hop? Mm-hmm. Um, but first and foremost, know your community. Are you sure this is what your students want? Because again, if we're going to do this, this is for students. Have you talked to your students to realize, to find and have a relationship with your students that this is what is best for my students, Right. Um, mm-hmm. And if you feel like, okay, do you have my students really want to do this? And maybe you, maybe you're not an expert in hip hop because I am by no means an expert in hip hop, I would not say. But what I will do is do some research, talk to the students, co-construct lessons with them. Think about um, how, how recognize that it's more than just about the music, it's about the entire culture. Be culturally competent. Learn about the culture. Do a Google search. Talk to your school library, your librarian and do some research. What is hip hop culture? What are the elements? How can I teach with this? Get to be familiar with the culture because what you don't want to do, it is a culture. We don't want to misappropriate a culture for teaching purposes only. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you, and depending on who your student population is, right, if, you, if your student population is predominantly students of color and you're coming to talk about hip hop and maybe you're an outsider and you're white or maybe you be black and, and not really understand it, don't come in trying to act like you know it and you don't. Be authentic in yourself. I don't really know a lot about this, but I want to learn. Can you help me? So it's that transactional piece because it should not be you have to be the person who has all of the knowledge. Talk to those members in the community, your students, or the other teachers that are using it. Maybe you need to collaborate with someone who may have more knowledge or understanding of it if you don't feel comfortable in implementing it. As far as something small, like, for example, you don't have to, like I had a whole thing that was going to just kept building and building so each year built. Maybe start with something small, but I would definitely start with just understanding the culture, reading about the culture. Are you even listening? If you're going to use lyrics, are you even listening to the music? <laughs> There's so many different genres of hip-hop music. There's categories of hip-hop music. It's not just one type. So all of those kinds of things, making yourself familiar a little bit. And just start small, and you'll be fine. And be genuine with your um, implementation.
That wraps another episode of Call Number with American Libraries. Many thanks to Ralph McDaniels and Jaquetta Johnson for speaking with us today. Join us next month as we look at ALA's Merit Fund. Do you have feedback regarding one of our segments, something you're curious about, or thoughts on a topic of interest to the library community that you want to see us cover on the show? Well, we want to hear from you then. New to Call Number, you can reach out to us directly and tell us your thoughts and opinions about our shows and more with your own voice. Call 312-857-6761 and leave us a message that may be featured in a future episode. That's 312-857-6761. We want to hear from each and every one of you. As always, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor at American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is Call Number with American Libraries. Thank you.